I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Welcome to the Touch Em All podcast. We've got a second episode for you this week. By popular request, Phil, we were asked to do a mailbag, and I think it's a pretty good idea. Way to connect with the listeners. Yeah, I don't know. You and I haven't really done many mailbag episodes, and I think I've always sort of personally shied away from the mailbag concept because everybody does mailbags, mm-hmm. and I've always thought that they're sort of lazy in a way, that if you're like just soliciting questions to fill your content, then you know you're just... Like you're not putting in the work, but you and I have been doing this podcast for over two years, for like two and a half years now. So I think it's safe for us to we've, we've done enough of our own content development oh. that we can we can now open it back up to our very smart group of listeners to participate as well. And by open it back up, you almost definitely mean kick our feet up on the table, right? Yes, like this is a time for us to be lazy. We've already laid the groundwork, we've put the foundation in, and now. The listeners can do all the work while we just sit back and let them plot out our podcast. And so you might be joking like a little bit, but actually I sent out a call for uh, questions maybe like an hour ago on Twitter, and we've actually got a lot of of pretty smart questions, so I want to run a couple of them by you. We were talking off mic just a second ago. Uh, One of the popular questions, I knew this was going to come in, and you know that I don't like answering these kinds of questions. So I'm going to leave it to you, Phil, to answer the question, how many wins will it take for the Twins to get to the postseason? And uh, how many wins would it take for them to host the wildcard game? So it's funny you ask. I may or may not have already plotted out every remaining series and how many wins in each series the Twins need to get to the number that I think is required to play a coin flip wild card game. Well, hold so. on. Before you get to that, be honest. You've had this running spreadsheet all season of how many wins the <laughs> Twins would need, and, and, and you just update it every night. Is that right? Yes, and so far I have uh, accurately predicted every single series <laughs> okay. up until this point. Wow. Uh, and, and by the way, we are, we are watching the Royals-Twins game here on this Thursday night game, one of a four-game series that is in my spreadsheet. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's the late innings. The Twins, I think, have three outs left to get a run and tie it. So if something happens, we can go crazy in the background. Okay, and, all right. Uh, whatever. If it doesn't, people are going to be listening to this after the game's over. But – so I think the number is 86 wins still, and I think if you so if you go 14 and nine the rest of the way, you get to 86 wins. If you if you finish the season from this point forward 14 and nine, a team like the Angels would have to go obviously 15 and eight to beat you. Like that's a pretty darn good number to post for a bunch of mediocre flawed teams in your rearview mirror. So 14 and 9 the rest of the way to get to 10 games over 500, 86 and 76. And by my math, they have to take two out of four on the road against the Royals. So just split this series. And and if the game ended right now, they would lose the first game. So they'd have to take two out of three this weekend from the Royals. But two out of four from the Royals, sweep the two-game series at home against San Diego, take three out of four at home against a Toronto team that's toiling in the standings, and then go one of three from the Yankees on the road, one of three from the Indians, 
and beat up on the Tigers by winning five of those seven games. Hmm. If you do that, I think you play a coin flip game against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And to host the game, do they need to then take two or three from the Yankees or sweep the Yankees? I suppose the math gets easier if you if you beat them in that series than trying to make up wins elsewhere. Yeah, I, my guess is 80, 89 is probably the the top wild card spot. I mean wow. the the Yankees are the, the Yankees are also in the Yankees are a step or two ahead of the Twins in terms of their their roster building and and where people thought they would be going into the year. Uh, but the Twins have closed fast in August and September. I still don't think the Yankees are put together enough to really like roll off 10 straight wins or something like the Diamondbacks with their loaded roster and their uh, you know they're they're loaded lineup, so I, I yeah I think the Yankees the Yankees are a step above the Twins in my mind when you look at their 25 man roster, but they're not like a pull away from the pack team quite yet. Yeah, there's there's truth to that. I do wonder if it would uh, if if it matters for the Twins. Like you talk about, you say the word coin flip, um, and and for people who don't know, you just mean basically whatever 50 percent chance or 50 about 50 percent chance yeah. of winning any one baseball game. I guess. The, the caveat would be pitching matchups. But let's assume that's, like, fairly equal. Maybe Sonny Gray versus Irvin Santana or something like that. Uh, do you think it matters if the Twins are at home or Yankee Stadium, or is it still just kind of in that 50-50? I'd have to see some some proof that it matters. And even if okay. – let's, let's say it matters to the to the tune of 5 or 10% edge over whatever the – you know, over, over the normal uh, – matchup percentage sure then it's, it's still a coin flip because it's one game yeah. so like that's the thing about baseball that, that some people I, i've had this argument with judd on the radio and he's like you know well you know they're never going to beat the astros in a playoff series and i said you can't speak in absolutes when it comes to baseball the hardest thing to do is build a team that can win a bunch of games over the six month long haul once you accomplish that, if you just get in, yes, there are underdogs and there are teams like the Dodgers that are going to be much more likely to win a seven-game series or the World Series than the Twins. But if you if you build a team that's good enough to win 85 to 95 games in the regular season, that team is also good enough to get hot for a couple weeks and go to the World Series. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Chicago White Sox are probably the worst team in baseball. They're right I mean they're right in there with the Phillies. They're one of the three worst teams in baseball. And the White Sox have a 6 and 4 record this year against the Astros and the Yankees. So if the worst team in baseball or the worst team in the American League can get hot over 10 games against two of the best teams in the American League. Imagine what a far better team yeah. compared to the White Sox could do if they get hot. Well, I do wonder like, you can't speak in absolutes about baseball in general and especially about baseball in October. I am not going to pick on him too much because he's not here to defend himself, but I wonder what Judd would have said in August of 1987. You'll never beat the Tigers in a postseason. It's can't happen. I mean, the Tigers won 98 games that year. The Twins won the World Series. Stuff happens. Baseball right. does not always reward the most talented team, but... I am curious. I just wonder from a psychology perspective, are the Twins a team that's going to get rattled or shaken by this sort of Yankee mystique? We don't have to dwell on this too much. Plenty of podcasts in the future where we can talk about some postseason matchups and, and all that kind of good stuff. But I kind of do want to get through some rapid-fire questions, Phil. Let's do it. If, if, there's any, if there's one that for sure you need to dwell on, let's dwell. 
But for the most part, I want to try to get to as many listener questions as possible. Let's um, fly through. Well, that was a good first question, though, and yeah. uh, it, and it, and it's good foreshadowing for if they do eventually play right. the Yankees, we can really dive into that yeah. for the first time in seven years. Food for thought. So first of all, thanks to Bob for the recommendation uh, of the mailbag episode, and he wants to know why teams don't bunt against the shift more often as an unwritten rule. I said quickly, Phil, is that – Honestly, some guys are just not great bunters, and sometimes the situation doesn't dictate it. But I don't think there's anything unwritten about bunting against the shift. If you're going to shift, that's your fault if you give it up. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, you wouldn't put all the players, the defensive players in the infield, and then if somebody lifts a fly ball, you say it's Bush League against some unwritten rule. No, it's your fault. You stacked the infield. You knew what the percentages was. You took a gamble and lost. I've got no problem bunting against the shift. You know, I, I would say I think I think the answer is is multifaceted. I think pride plays a factor. Sure. That you just and if you think about it, the majority of shifts are left-handed batters who have some power, right? Like David Ortiz, Jim Tomey. And so if if you're at the plate and you're a left-handed power hitter and you see a shift, in some ways you're admitting defeat by just sacrificing your ability to get an extra base hit. Right, if like all they have to do is shift, and then you just wave the white flag on hitting a double or a home run, they win to some degree. Mm. But I've wondered that too. If there's nobody at third base, why not just get on base? In some instances, I think that's warranted strategy, but in others, you should still try to hit a home run or a double. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Danny wants to know if you're Falveen, and I don't like that combination, but he used it, so we're going to. Uh, if you're Derek Falveen, Thad Levine. Do you trade or extend Brian Dozier this offseason, or do you just go maybe the path of least resistance and let him enter his free agent walk year? Wow. We've talked about this well, a lot, you, Phil. You're not – he's one of those guys that's not going to walk for nothing because at the very least you would offer him what – at the time it will probably be a $17 million one-year qualifying offer, and he would turn it down, and then you would get a first-round draft pick compensation. So you at least would get that. But then that first-round draft pick, if he pans out, wouldn't matter for, like, five more years. So, yeah. <laughs> so like, you wouldn't get a player that helps you in this window. I would have had a different answer a few months ago or even a few weeks ago when Jorge Polanco was toiling with no minor league options left. Now that Jorge Polanco looks to have found his groove again, and we know he could play second base if they decided to move him back over there. In fact, he's probably a better second baseman than shortstop. I'd ha- I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit more willing to listen to trade offers in the offseason again for Dozier, but at this point, knowing that you're going to be a contending team in 2018 and you're going to have three weak teams in your division, you're going to play almost 60 games against the Tigers, against a Royals team losing a bunch of key free agents, yeah. and a White Sox team in full rebuild mode. You should hit the gas pedal this offseason and take advantage of your weak division and make it a two-team race Go win 90-plus games, and Brian Dozier is one of the best players of the last six or seven years on this Twins roster. So he's, he's right now he's one of your three or four best players still, and he's in his prime. So I, I certainly wouldn't give him away. Uh, at this point, I think I would just – I think I would see if him and his representatives would go for like a four-year contract extension for maybe $15 million a year, and if that's the case – that's a pretty team-friendly contract still for a guy who's worth about four to five wins above replacement. Yeah, I think I might just let him enter the year and see what happens. Because you can also, if he's a free agent, there's nothing against the rules 
to offer him a contract. Like, I think we get too hung up on this idea that if a player still has a year of team control left, you can get a significant discount. And it's just that usually that's not the case. Sometimes you can. I'm not going to say that it's never happened. It's happened a lot in baseball history. But for every example, there's a counterexample of a guy who didn't want to sell his free agent years because he'd rather just hit the market. Some players that works out for him, some it doesn't. But I don't think you're in this, like, bind if you're the twins in regard to Dozier because you can make him prove it next year, and then you can try to sign him just like all the other teams. It's not like you're going to get some huge discount because – I mean, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I haven't talked with his agent about this, but like, I don't get the sense that a guy at age 30 is going to take a quote-unquote hometown discount. Uh, you know, I, I think that we tend to, as fans and media and observers, we tend to overvalue that. We tend to blow that out of proportion. I think if you want to keep Brian Dozier, you're going to pay him fair market and free agency anyways. And for that reason, I don't think there's any any necessity to sort of lock yourself in. I, I'd just let him enter next year as one of your best players and see what happens. Yeah, one thing real quick I would explore, if I'm going to offer him a contract extension, I would probably front load it to some degree for two reasons, if he would be down for that. If you could, if it was, if it was, uh, let's say it's an, it's a $75 million extension over four years, and I would give him like $20 million in the first year and then maybe de-escalate the contract from there. Because I'm a little nervous about his age, 33 and 34 seasons. Okay. And also, that's going to be the time when you're going to have to start thinking about paying Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton and Eddie Rosario and all these players that are surging for you right now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think that he's a good veteran player to have around, so I wouldn't trade him. Also, who's going to give you like what you need, right? You need young, good pitching, especially starting yeah, pitching. If, if, let's put it this way, too. If the best offer you received last offseason with two years left of team control, team-friendly contract, if you couldn't get more than Jose DeLeon in a deal for Brian Dozier, um, I don't know why another year would, and, and another year closer to free agency, why that would help your cause in trade discussions. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think we're... We're in agreement, basically, on that one. Um, I, I guess we'll keep to our promise of going rapid fire because we are now two questions in, and we're 15 minutes into this podcast, Phil. So, <laughs> no, I think, aren't we three? We did a bunting question. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It does seem like par for the course for us, though, to be like, okay, we're going to talk about these nine things. Okay, that was two, and we'll catch you next week. Uh, <laughs> kind of how we roll. Um James wants to know which position player would win in a pie-eating contest. I assume he just means strictly twins, but uh, who do you have for that? You know, I think Miguel Sano would seem to be the trendy pick right now with all of the hubbub about his weight being up there, but I would have to go with Kenny Vargas. Yeah. I think Kenny Vargas could probably put down a couple couple apple pies. What I do mean, you think? I think if it's pound for pound, you might look elsewhere. Like, I got, like so... To make it personal, you've seen me eat, Phil, and for my size, I don't know anybody who's matching me in terms of, like, just the sheer calories consumed, and I, I don't know if that's what James is asking, like, is this on a rate basis, or are we just talking, like, raw total of of calories, you know, for slices of pie? If, if that's well, the case, know, it's got to be Vargas. It's, yeah, it's a good question. I think 
if you look at some of the past hot dog eating champions, Joey Chestnut was not the biggest guy on stage the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Kobayashi was not the biggest guy on stage. Mm-hmm. So I would have to put Byron Buxton in the mix. If you have metabolism <laughs> yeah. that burns like a furnace, yeah. I'm going to think Byron Buxton can be uh, pretty sneaky in the eating department. I haven't, uh, I haven't judged any pie eating contest, so I actually don't even know what would qualify you as a great pie eating contestant. So, James, I... I guess I just have to take a pass on this one. Um, but Miguel Sano is the easy joke I, because of the recent column about his weight and the concerns over that, yada, yada, yada. Um, I mean, if we open up to pitchers, Bartolo Colon would be thinking <laughs> of I'm, I'm sure James was thinking about that, and I know because he used position player in his tweet. Why else would you specify? Right. I think that's just that's just a blatant disrespect of Bartolo Colon. But. Yeah. Could have asked That's who would okay. take second on the Twins, but anyways, <laughs> let's digress on that. Uh, uh, Brandon wants to know, why don't the Twins call up more players? Like uh, Rosters have expanded now in September. Molitor apparently told reporters today they might be done. Uh, Thad Levine did say on Doogie's podcast uh, yesterday or today, Phil, that uh, on the Scoop podcast that the Twins would consider it. There are some guys in Double uh, H Chattanooga now that Rochester season's over. Some guys that they might think about, or guys that had been on AAA Rochester, like uh, Jake Reed, Alex Wimmers, who they might just say, hey, uh, you can go home, but why don't you play catch every other day, just in case yeah. we need you. And I, So I don't know for sure that they're done, but I don't know. Do you have a problem with them not pulling more guys up? I feel like their roster is pretty set right now for all contingencies. Well, I... I think it's it's never a bad idea to have as many pitchers in September as possible because well we've already seen two different teams use 12 pitchers in a game including the Angels. I just think it helps you avoid those situations where you go extra innings and you burn out a bunch of good pitchers. I think it's nice to have more sacrificial lambs in September. It's nice to have the extra padding if you do go 15 innings. Sure. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at the Twins 40-man roster right now, and they they do have most of these pitchers on the team right now. I mean, Nick Turley is up, Michael Tonkin. I'm trying to find healthy pitchers on the 40-man who aren't on the active roster right now. Hildenberger, Dylan G, Duffy, John Curtis is still up, uh, Buzinitz, Boshier. So they we, we'd be talking about bumping a position player off the 40-man and bringing up, like, Steven Gonsalves or something. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, could you have done without Nico Goodrum? But they like him on the 40-man roster because he can play about 43 different positions. <laughs> and maybe he's a good platoon hitter. So, um, yeah, I don't um, I don't know. I'm, let me, I got the 40-man roster in front of me here, and they have, like, Felix Jorge... Yeah. Why is he not up? I guess that that I guess you could you could question that. I Fernando Romero is injured. Uh, no, I think it's innings for both of those guys. I think both of them have just said that's enough. Uh, Romero was pitching off of his surgery, I think, uh, last year. I want to say, and so they're just well, he's, being. Yeah, and he's been he got lit up the last few weeks of August yeah. and was pulled from the rotation. So. Well, yeah, I think they shut him down from an innings concern. If you look at his game logs, it's five innings every time out, no matter how many pitches for the last, whatever, two months. And I'm pretty sure, just reading between the lines, they basically said, all right, 
He's coming off a, a Tommy John surgery, and then he also had a knee deal, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken. As yeah. Robbie, the on-base god Grossman, draws a walk to make things interesting here. Uh, we will uh, we will update this twin score, Phil, to look at your spreadsheet, which you predicted in March. To can know I make the, a call? Can, can yeah, I make a ahead. call? We're watching this game live. Bases loaded. Brian Dozier, I was going to say a grand slam. I was literally saying grand slam. Deep drive to left. Foul pole caught sack fly. <laughs> so, I was literally going to call a grand slam, and that was a, a warning track fly ball to tie the game. That's so. funny. So, uh, well, two things off that. One, you're the king of the almost call. You'll come to the press box, and you'll say, like, 50 things under your breath in the first seven innings, and if one or two of them are right, you're like, hey, I, I mean, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but uh, but I, I happen to get that one. Second of all, uh, I'm on uh, I'm on Sling TV. I don't know if you use that. It's where you kind of just like pick a couple of channels or whatever. And so we've got yeah, Fox we Sports. Use, North. Actually, we use Sling TV sometimes at 1500 ESPN okay. during like we'll just fire up a computer for an extra screen. So that, yeah, cool. uh, uh, sweet little uh, endorsement plug there if uh, if it unfolds that way. But I'm actually I must be like two full pitches behind because. Brian Dozier just took a big cut and fouled back strike one. So I'm no longer in the dark of what's going to happen here uh, in the rest of this plate appearance, but you're definitely ahead of me on the uh, TV viewing. Sorry um, for the spoiler. And hey, uh, if okay. you are listening to this on Friday and we're hoping to like watch this Twins game because you didn't see it last night, <laughs> also sorry for the spoiler. Yeah, and hey, uh, real quick, go ahead. Uh, before we get back to the mailbag questions, I want to throw a quick plug out for one of our main sponsors of this podcast. Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is a car dealership and a service department that my family and I have been going to for a long time, uh, over 30 years. And I would specifically direct you guys to LutherBrookdaleToyota.com's pre-owned slash used inventory page where they have a bunch of cars with over 100,000 miles that you might say at first glance, okay, I don't know if I want to get into it. That seems like a lot of miles. Isn't that kind of a ticking time bomb once it gets over 100,000? And I'm telling you, I've driven Toyotas up to close to 300,000 miles. Not only are they the most durable vehicles in the world uh, for my money and if you just read reports, but you get the top-notch service at Luther Brookdale Toyota to keep those vehicles running like new. So thank you to Luther Brookdale Toyota for powering this Touch 'Em All podcast and for being good friends of 1500 ESPN and my family for a number of years. Back to the podcast here, Derek Wetmore. Um, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this Twins game that everyone has already seen the results of, but they're now winning 4-2, to two, and so I think we have to make it a new rule. We are the good luck charm for this team, and we probably have to do in-game podcasts every single time the Twins play well, from this point through the end of the month, or we we might wind up driving them out of the playoff chase. Uh, well, first of all, spoiler alert, for gosh sakes. And uh, <laughs> second of all, uh, I have played around with the idea of doing some, like, some in-game, whether it's Facebook Live or whatever, so people can kind of hang out and watch the Twins game with us. Uh, haven't haven't uh, followed through on that a whole lot this year. I've done a couple of, like, Q&As, but it's just my face, and I feel like nobody wants to see that while they're watching a Twins game. So, anyways, if we could work out the logistics, that'd be a lot of fun to do some more in-game stuff. And if people Brown want paper it, bags. Brown yeah. paper bags. <laughs> well, we're not Cleveland Browns fans, so. Um, we do have, like, a 
probably a dozen more questions. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. If we don't, I apologize, and uh, and I'll try to get to them like on my Facebook page or something. But um, let's just kind of chug through them here. Now I'm I'm up. I'm going to be watching the rest of this game. So um, I know you've got a morning radio show, but uh, well, let's fire away. Let's get through some of these here. Cool. Andrew wants to know: Can the Twins hang on if Sano is out another two plus weeks? And I think that they can. I would start to be very worried if I was the Twins, and I would never say this out loud, but I would start to be worried that Miguel Sano might not come back this year. Uh, they're kind of downplaying it. They say, yeah, he's progressing slowly, and we've just got to make sure he's healthy. That's priority number one. And even if he comes back as like a you know as a pinch hitter or as a DH, that would help the Twins. But like a stress reaction is a very unpredictable injury, and for a guy that carries around that amount of weight, I, I would start to be worried. That he might not come back, certainly as a third baseman, but but even just as a hitter, as a as a designated hitter, we're getting to the point of the season where it's hard to say for sure that he will come back. Uh, but I guess Andrew's question is just, can the Twins hang on? And yeah, I think even if he's done for yeah. the year, the Twins can still make the postseason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you were talking about a six month chunk, could they? You know, could they replicate what they just did without Miguel Sano? The answer is no. But now that they've put themselves in this position, and you got a bunch of other hitters who are red hot, like Eddie Rosario and Jorge Polanco, uh, you know, I, is it a blow to not have him? Yes. Does it make your lineup weaker? Yes. Can you get by defensively at third base if Adrian's is playing third, and even Eduardo Escobar, who can who can play some third? You know, I don't think you lose a lot defensively. You might even gain defensively depending on who's out there. So. You know, um, Miguel hasn't been as good at the plate the last couple months anyways as he was the first couple. So, yes, it's a blow, but, yes, you can still hang on without him. Uh, Carson wants to know, will Matt Belial keep the closer's role for the remainder of the season, and who takes it next year? I think they're going to continue to shuffle the deck. It's mostly Belial, but Hildenberger's been great, too. Those guys are interchangeable to me. And then you've also seen... Ryan Presley pitched better lately, and them use, like, Alan Buznitz, Taylor Rogers. Those are kind of the five guys I trust right now in the Twins' bullpen, and personally, I don't care who's getting the last three outs of the game. Um, and I'll let you touch on that, but I'll just say who takes it next year. I don't know. Maybe you're in the market for a free agent closer next year. Yeah, I, w I would like to see Glenn Perkins pitch more here in some of these blowout games. They've, just, they've been playing so many close games lately, and you can't trust him to pitch in these close games yet. I'd, I, I'm surprised that he's throwing 92. I honestly didn't think he'd be throwing 92 miles an hour. So I think it's just, for him, I think it's a matter of just getting more at bats against major league hitters, or getting you know getting more pitches thrown against major league hitters for the first time in almost two full seasons. And I have heard that Glenn is considering playing in 2018, and that was that was a thought that was buried deep, deep in his head during the rehab process because he was just trying to get back to the major leagues for so long. But you know, now that now that the team is good and he's throwing a little harder than maybe he thought, he might come back and play next year. Now, will he be the closer? At this point, no. Yeah, I don't know if the closer is on the roster. I think they need to spend some money on a good relief pitcher or maybe two. But I will say that I think Trevor Hildenberger is their best relief pitcher on the roster right now. Yeah. But but if but if Mapple Isle can pitch in the ninth inning with a two or three run cushion and Hildenberger can pitch in some of those, you know, firefighter innings, those closer games in the seventh and the eighth, I'm fine with that setup. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you at all. If you would have asked me on 
May 15th, will Glenn Perkins pitch again next year? I'd say, I don't know. If you had asked me on August 15th, I would have said, well, probably not. And if you had asked me today, I think he will pitch next year. I, I think that, you know, I don't know if it makes 100%, you know, sense for the Twins, given the contract and he's got a buyout and all that stuff. But assuming that stuff can be worked out, I wouldn't, yeah, I would not write him off for pitching next season and, and even in Minnesota. You know, if I were Glenn Perkins, I might even pitch next season just to tell Jim Suhan, stop doing drive-by shots at me in the start to be. Stop taking pointless drive-by shots at me and uh, and watch me pitch in 2018. Those are the two people that I thought about when I read that column. We won't spend too much time on it, but uh, Glenn being told that he'd retired and uh, and Pat Royce being held up as a human shield – when Jim said, there are only two people who can write this authoritatively, me and Roycey. And now I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, now Roycey's in the middle of this, and he had nothing to do with it. Right, right. Maybe, you know, if, if we keep the mailbag concept going, if people do have actual questions about media in this town, or sometimes I think it's just self-congratulatory BS when local media members and talking heads talk amongst themselves to the public, you know? Hmm. So... If people, you know, if listeners, if you guys do have legit questions in that area, then send them for future podcasts. But for right now, we can stick to baseball. Uh, Stick to sports we shall. Dakota wants to know, do you think Kyle Gibson has really figured it out? Philly has another good start tonight. It's not that he's getting huge strikeout totals. Certainly that wasn't the case tonight. But over his last nine starts, he's been a legitimately very good starting pitcher for the Twins. And uh, I'm not ready to say he's, uh, he's, you know, a top of the rotation guy or or anything like that, but if he's a mid-rotation starter for the rest of the year for you or, or settles into kind of that back-end starter role, and the Twins kind of turn nothing into something here, I'm tempted to say I'm starting to believe in Kyle Gibson. I'm sorry, are, are, the, are these – was that a repeat answer from any of the last five years when talking about <laughs> Kyle Gibson? No, uh, not quite. Answer? Yeah, it's the same thing that uh, that I've gone through a lot with, say, Byron Buxton or like – uh, yeah, no, I think he's good now. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's get a little bit more time under our belts before we for sure answer it. But I don't, I don't know, Phil. This feels a little bit different to me. It feels like a guy at age 30 finally figuring out, okay, I have better stuff than my numbers. What the heck gives? And uh, like I said, I, I, he's not an ace. Will you ever be happy you spent a first-round pick on him ahead of Mike Trout? No, but if you can get something for the rest of the stretch drive, I think you've got to be pretty satisfied with that if you're the Twins. All right, here's here's where I'll give you, and I'm I'm in full wait and see mode on Kyle Gibson still. He's he he needs to show a lot more than one month of good good outings. With one of those outings coming against Detroit, actually the one against Detroit was a bad outing for him. But um, I need to see more in bulk from him. But I will give you this if you want to go stat of the week here, stat of the episode. <laughs> Kyle Gibson has generated more swinging strikes in his past few outings by far than his standard earlier in the year. Uh, he's it, Just to give you a barometer, like if you generate 12 or more swinging strikes in a standard outing, that's a, that's a pretty good number. You know, if you're getting like 20 swinging strikes in an outing, that is lights out unhittable. Yeah, you're Chris Sale, you're Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. And he's been getting 12, 13, 8, 17, 12, 10. So he's getting more swinging strikes than earlier in the year when he was 
pretty rarely getting more than 10. So he's if he's here's the the simple thing. If Kyle Gibson's missing more bats, he has taken the next step. Yes. That's all that, that's all it is. Yep. Uh, I wrote a column about this this week and I won't harp on Gibson too much longer, but there were a couple questions on him. Micah wanted to know too if if he's getting better and more actionable data from Falvey and Levine. Uh, yes and no. I wrote a column about this the other day. You can find it on 1500ESPN.com. In short, he's made three changes as far as I can tell. He's throwing more four-seam fastballs in, instead of the two-seam sort of sinker that he expects to run back over the plate um, to lefties anyways. And so the, the four-seamer, two-seamer trade-off is interesting to me because it's not like he has a great four-seam fastball, but maybe that's just mixing it up enough. Second one, he does have like a slightly different arm slot for his curveball, and I can't tell if that's made any measurable difference on the swinging strike rate or not. But as you mentioned, it's it's gone from for my stats, brethren. It's gone from like nine percent to twelve twelve and a half percent. That's a sure. that's a fairly big jump. You'll take that. And then yeah. the third and final thing was kind of interesting to me. Byron Buxton was standing in in like a mid July live BP session. Gibson's throwing a bullpen. Buxton had tweaked his groin and doesn't want to lose his timing, so he's standing in there. And he's, like, pointing out to Gibson that some of his best sliders are indiscernible from a fastball when they come out of his hand. Other times, Buxton could tell what was coming. And so he kind of worked with Gibson, and he just let him know that. And apparently Gibson has fixed it. Uh, That's what he told us anyways. And the results seem to mirror that because it's right around that same time after the Twins had a series in Houston that basically Gibson's been a really good starting pitcher for them with an ERA in the low threes. Um, I, I don't know if he continues being a three three point two ERA pitcher, but I, I'm kind of just based off those three things. I'm I'm a little bit more buying in on Kyle Gibson than if this was just sort of randomly happening at some point in time. Yeah, he's he's a weird pitcher, man. I mean, you know, the game we're watching tonight, he went seven, gave up two runs, but didn't strike anybody out. Yeah, so, it's weird. You know, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, how many times are you going to go seven, not strike anybody out? And have it result in two earned runs or fewer. Ooh, Probably not often, yeah. but but tip of the cap. Yep, sure enough. Terry wants to know uh, the Twins won't need a fifth starter because of Monday's off day. Uh, Saturday versus Toronto is the next time they'll need one. Do you go with Sleggers or do you go with somebody else? I wrote about this the other day too. I think it's Alberto Mejia's turn to get back into the rotation. Sleggers, nice MLB debut, second starting or second outing. Not so much. Uh, maybe just time to move on. Keep Sluggers around as as bullpen kind of insurance. But I do think the Twins will make they'll uh, they'll skip that spot in the rotation and then go back to Mejia for the next start. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and if the good news is for the Twins, if they get to the postseason, they won't have to worry about that problem That's anymore. Right. You don't need a fifth starter. Right. So uh, Robert wants to know, and I don't have an answer for this. Maybe you do, Phil. What's the most bizarre or interesting metric that you've heard the new regime mention? Honestly. In talking with whether it's, you know, stats guys in their department or other front office, whether it's scouts or uh, or any of the, you know, the Mike Radcliffe's, the Rob Antony's of the world, or Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, there hasn't been a metric that I was like, what? You track that? I guess maybe that's just because they're keeping things close to the vest, but does anything about Robert's question jump out to you? Is there anything that you've seen that's bizarre or interesting? Um, I would say... Yes. I'm trying to think of the way it was characterized from the Twins' perspective behind the scenes, but it's uh, it's from TrackMan data. You've got Obviously, you've got spin rate, which is pretty commonly referenced now even on broadcasts. I'm, I'm actually very proud of the mainstream media for, in some ways, mocking, but at least talking about 
spin rate. And I know that there's been a lot of internal talk with the Twins, not only about spin rate, and this applies to Kyle Gibson, too. They've talked with him about this behind the scenes, even before Falvey and Levine got there. But uh, but sort of like the angle at which the ball is coming in as well. So they're talking about how steep does a ball drop when it breaks, what angle and what plane is your fastball coming in at. In general, downward movement is a lot more difficult to square up than horizontal movement in baseball. If you go look at the teams with the best ground ball rates as, as pitching staffs, they almost always, without many exceptions, have a lot of vertical movement, downward movement, or pitchers that get a lot of downward movement by being tall or um, or having those type of mechanics. So the Twins not only are putting stock into spin rate, but also sort of that axis and where your pitch moves and how much it drops vertically versus how much it moves horizontally. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty deep. Yeah, but like, does that does that scare you? I mean, is that bizarre? I I think that's smart. It's it's something that they should be looking at, and I'm sure that they have models that talk about that vertical versus horizontal movement. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just missing the spirit of the question. I, I haven't heard anything that I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I don't. As far as like, are they doing anything that makes you wonder? Like, does the yeah I. First of all, they're not going to really open up their system so that we can analyze them and see what they're working on. But I think the fact that they're referencing weighted on base average instead of more traditional back of the baseball card stats for hitters is very encouraging. Weighted on base average is something that I mean, that's teams have been using that behind the scenes for a long time now. Sure. But the Twins really hadn't until Derek Falvey and Thad Levine came along, mm-hmm. and that's just for people who are unfamiliar. Weighted on base average properly weights on-base percentage as being almost two times more valuable in the run creation process than slugging percentage, which is why Joe Maurer is a criminally underrated hitter for his career because, again, he's third in the American League in getting on-base this year. Mm-hmm. So you know, he's he's been one of the elite out-avoiders during his time, and that's the most important factor when it comes to run creation, and the Twins are now properly weighing it in their evaluation of hitters. Yeah. Um, there's a final question here that I feel like we'd be remiss if we skip it. Our buddy Randball Stew asked, and this is in response. Now, granted, I asked this hour, hour and a half ago on Twitter, and I'm just watching. Uh, maybe the game's over for you, Phil. Don't tell me. But there's two outs in the bottom of the ninth for me. Randball Stew wants to know, would you say the Twins' average with runners in scoring position tonight should be expressed with numbers or volcanic rage at an indifferent god? <laughs> and, and I think uh, as soon as I said Randball Stew, you were like, okay, where's the punchline? And uh, it's funny because after that question was asked, maybe he's the good luck charm. Maybe it has nothing to do with us, Phil. Us recording a podcast is just sort of secondary to him asking that question on Twitter and the Twins actually coming through with runners on base in the ninth inning and coming back to win this game. Yeah, sounds like he may have asked that question a little bit too early. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, so another podcast in game sometime next week? I think we have to, yeah. And the game isn't quite over yet, although if I tap dance enough here for about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, spoiler alert, Derek. No, not again. It's happening.